Lord, as you broke bread and revealed meaning to your disciples on the way to Emmaus. Break bread and give meaning to us as we seek your word. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Don't you just love the Emmaus Road story? It is one of those human evocative stories in the New Testament. It's normally, of course, a reading for the Easter season because it's one of those readings that succeeds Easter day as we unfold the stories that happened in the, in the days after that. But I chose it today because, as you might have gathered from the theme of music and everything else, our theme today is, if you like, on a journey or journeying. Our journeying together as disciples who in this particular time and place find ourselves as part of the, the family and the fellowship here at Methodist Central Hall, Westminster. Luke loves journeys. They're absolutely everywhere in his writing. Whether you turn to the uh, Gospel of Luke or as uh, you heard when you unfolded the Acts of the Apostles, the second volume that he wrote about the history of the church and what happened straight after Jesus' resurrection. There's journeys everywhere. In fact, somebody described the book of Acts, which uh, the church has just finished looking at, as a book which is essentially about from Jerusalem to Samaria to the ends of the earth. Journey. And when you're on a journey in Luke, it's a sure sign that God is going to turn up and do something. To be on a journey in Luke is a place of encounter. We'll have plenty of weeks to explore these things again together more fully. If you're in Matthew's gospel, if you go up a mountain or a hill, you're going to get zapped by God and God's teaching. But if you're in Luke or Acts, Whenever you walk along a journey, God's revelation or change or challenge is going to happen to you. You think I'm kidding? Let me just rehearse a few. It's Luke who takes two of the most famous Jesus stories and puts them in his gospel and they're found nowhere else in the New Testament. He tells a story about a prodigal son who uh, does what lots of sons does kicks those years of tender nurture and care in the teeth and sets off on his own on a long journey where when we get to that part in Luke, he comes to himself. So he turns round and walks back home. Is he going to be received? It's a journey story. Or Luke tells the story, and he's again the only person who tells it, of the Samaritan we call him the Good Samaritan because of what he did. How a person is walking down a road on a journey and gets beat up. And people who you might expect, who are also on the road on a journey, are presented with the opportunity, how will I respond to this human mess on the road? And the story goes how you would expect the religious and the upright of the day to stop, and they don't. And the person who is at the bottom of the pile in terms of meaning in society and income and prestige is the one who goes across the road and acts with incredible generosity. So you've got victims on the journey, 
and righteous people on the journey with a challenge to do what's right. And people who you might not expect who are there on a journey presented with an opportunity to do something wonderful for somebody else. Then there's journeys where God just breaks into your life and turns them upside down. So, if you're a learned Jew and a zealous Jew and you believe that these teachings about Jesus Christ are completely and utterly wrong and you're called Saul of Tarsus and you decide to walk down a road from one place to the other to draw a line under this heresy called the Christian church and you set off down on this journey and that's just the point where suddenly you're struck blind and you hear a voice, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And you have to turn around. Because on some journeys, your life changes direction. And then there's this story, and many others. When we get to Christmas, we'll talk about another journey story that Mary and Joseph make. But this one. The Emmaus Walk. Where for the first time, Jesus draws near to two bewildered disciples, for a long time thought possibly to be man and wife. But walking with heavy hearts, because they've not understood what's happened in Jerusalem, all they can see is fallen dreams and an untimely death. And they become aware of a traveler along the road who accompanies them, questions them, engages with them, teaches them, scolds them, invites them to a meal. And just when they're getting used, and just when they think they know who he is, he disappears. And they run back up the same journey, back to the disciples and say, we've seen the Lord. Journeys are a metaphor for God encountering our lives at different parts. So it's no surprise then that down the centuries, many people have gone on journeys called pilgrimages. Um, a slide of a pilgrim here. Thanks, Dan. A few years ago, I and uh, a few friends walked the last couple of hundred kilometers of the 1,000-kilometer route to Santiago de Compostela. Uh, I didn't do the last 200 kilometers because I'm lazy about the other 800. It's just I couldn't take seven weeks off work, much as I'd have liked to have done at that time. It's known as the Camino. It's an ancient pilgrimage going back into the uh, early Middle Ages, and it starts from the southern tip of France, and it goes across the north of Spain, right to the westerly part of Spain, over the top of what's Portugal. And you look out, out over Finisterre, the end of the earth. Uh, and it ends in the city of Santiago, St. James, because it's the pilgrimage of the, of the place associated with, with St. James. And it was, a, a, for me and for others, a wonderful, uh, meaningful journey. Uh, and uh, as you go along the thousand kilometers of the route, every so often, 
you see these. Uh, they're along the side of the road. They're called waymarks. And they're there to say two things. One, you're on the right path, you're not lost. And secondly, if you look at that, no, next, go back a bit, Dan. No, no, backwards, that's it. Don't tell them what's coming yet, they'll all go home. <laughs> Just underneath that, you can see it says 0, 0.00 kilometers. That's the endway mark at Finisterre. That's the little sort of lighthouse at the end of there. When you start out, the waymarks say 1,023.2 kilometers. When you get to them and you're feeling a bit ragged, you go, Phew. but it tells you how far you've got to go. Or if we move forward, you get waymarks like this. If you go into a town, because you do go through some towns and across effectively the desert across northern Spain, and you come to a crossroads, you always know which way you're going because the waymarks, always in yellow on the Camino, take you in the right direction, turn in this case, right up this street, not left. Or sometimes they're not even like that. If you go to the next slide, sometimes you'll see in some of the more ancient parts that you have roads, and on the roads are these beautiful mosaics. And what you're meant to do is know that you're walking on the right road, because that's the sign of the Camino. When you go on the Camino, you suddenly become aware that the whole world is on pilgrimage. There are people of every sort of different sorts. There's the super fit type. You know who I mean, don't you? I can't stand them. But they're the super fit type. They've got the stuff on their back and they've got these poles that they walk with and they've got these boots that were 400 quid and they're, they're going along and you sort of say, Buen Camino, and they go, mm, off they go. And they're getting there fast. And some people, which seems to me to be a sort of ridiculous way of looking at a pilgrimage, their intention is to get there as fast as they can. You know, I did it in 21 days, 22 hours and 14.2 seconds. That's four seconds faster than you managed it. So th they come past you. There, there's often people who start out on their own and then after a while, they gather a little group together because you stop at various places called refugios. So sometimes you virtually sort of live together. You walk the X miles and then you all stop in this refugio, which is a kind of, well, it's not even a glossed up uh, sort of hostel, hostels along the way. And before you know it, you went there on your own and suddenly find that, you know, you're going to be with Bert and Jens and Matilda. And, you know, it's what time should we meet outside in the morning? We'll walk together. And some people walk together for several days, and then they'll part company, and one will have a rest day, and they'll pick somebody else up. And there's all this going on all the time. There's some key reasons why people go on this pilgrimage. A friend of uh, Helen and I's, who we've known for many years, walked the whole of the Camino shortly after he was retired, in memory of his dead son, Richard, Richard died at 17. He was shot dead in South Africa in the 1980s. Uh, and long, long time after this, he sets off. And when we said to him, goodness me, why are you doing this? He said, I need to walk the road for Richard and to work out what it was all about. And 
he walked on his own and he walked fast and he walked slow and he walked with people and he he told us, he was just telling us this the other week, in the weeks when we went down to Devon to visit some friends before the 1st of September and the onslaught of the Methodist New Year. He told us how he saw quite a number of people who weren't walking very fast, but they had hugely heavy rucksacks. Uh, and he got talking to one chap who was Dutch, and he said, that rucksack looks really, really heavy. He said, yeah, it's full of stones. Well, it takes all sorts. He said, why on earth is it full of stones? He said, because I'm walking the Camino for atonement of my sins. And this is the punishment I've given myself. And apparently the idea was that as you felt you were obeying God by going on the Camino, you threw out the stone and you got lighter and lighter as you got towards Santiago. Now it happens that our friend was an Anglican minister in South Africa. So apparently they spent two or three way marks with one another, with Clive sort of saying, you don't need to drag all this stuff a thousand kilometers, you know. I'll introduce you to Jesus. You can throw the whole lot out now. <laughs> I don't know what happened. And then there are people who have been healed or something wonderful's happened, and they walk along, and as soon as you get there, they say, Buen Camino, I'm here because, and whether you like it or not, you get both barrels. This is the story of my life. And that's sometimes, I, you've got to believe me, after you've been on it two or three weeks, that's the time when you speed up a bit. You're there a few hours and you move on. One of my favorite authors, uh, David Lodge, who... Uh, besides being an author, was a professor at Birmingham University. He wrote many years ago a book called Therapy. Has anybody ever read Therapy by David Lodge? Good. So wonder he's a bestseller then, isn't it? <laughs> the book Therapy has the key character in a midlife crisis. He, uh, he's overweight, he has a broken marriage, and he's losing his job. And he takes every therapy you can take of. On Tuesday, it's going to this therapist. On Wednesday, it's taking that tab tablet. On Friday, he has two-hour sessions in a water pool that relieves this. You name it. And his whole life just continues to get completely and utterly in turmoil. And as the book progresses, he decides to try and find an old friend because his youth days were the days that he remembers as the most wonderful days of his life when he was in a Catholic youth group. And he discovers, almost by accident, in trying to track down this friend, that they're on the road to Santiago de Compostela. So he sets off in his Jaguar and tries to find his friend along the road. And the book's called Therapy because this godless, completely messed up individual receives therapy on the road of the Camino. Brilliant book, you need to read it. It's not a religious book, it's a novel. Now, on the Camino, some pilgrims simply note the way marks. 963, 962, we're nearly there. Some people do what we did, which was when you got to a way mark, just bring the yellow way mark back, Dan. When you get to one of... Back again. Next, next one back. 
that, when you get to one of these, you use it like a cairn and people stop and they read a psalm. Uh, somebody says a prayer and they stop there for a while to get their breath and as people come, they join in or they don't or they walk on or somebody comes and says another prayer. Now, I must move on on this sermon because time's getting on, but you've probably noticed, because you're all intelligent people, but I'll point it out anyway. All the things that happen in Luke's gospel on the road still happen today when you make a journey like that. Every permutation. Some of them are prodigals. They're heading either away from home or they're coming to their senses or by the time they get to Santiago, they say, I'm, I'm going home or I've come home. Some of the characters, like in the Good Samaritan story where they've been beaten up with life and just to walk that road is a healing experience. Some of them are blind and then they come to see. Some of them start befriending the people who are there and there's more than enough people with walking sticks and frames going very, very slowly. And it seems to be their ministry that although they could walk a lot faster, they come alongside and they just minister to people and they listen to the story and they affirm. And they put their arm, they push them up the hill. Good Samaritans. Some like St. Paul have quite a past, perhaps like the Dutch guy with the the bag full of stones. Or they walk the road in fury and anger about something that's happened in their life, somebody they've lost and they just can't come to terms with it. But they experience something on the road. And like Saul, they finish at the end of the road a different person to the person who started. Some like the two on the walk to Emmaus walk sad and bewildered and questioning and become aware that God draws near, either supernaturally or through the ministry of other people. And the Jesus that they thought was absent or had left them or just wasn't part of their life anymore suddenly started to become, from a spark to a flame, more real. And do you know the good news? Jesus Christ still draws near to people at every point of life's journey. So the prodigals who are far away among us can come to their senses and find a way home. And in the gospel story, be received home. And people who can't let the past go and are walking to try and get away from it can somehow move through that Rubicon where they're no longer dogged by what happened. But they're going forward in liberty and faith because God's drawn near. And some who are Samaritans and they've been beaten up get ministered to in such a way that they say, Enough now, I, I walk a new way. I've moved through that. Some people start with faithlessness or just simply, I don't know what this world's about. I don't know what's true. I don't know what's worth living for and I don't know what's worth dying for. And suddenly in a million different subtle ways, which is the way of the Holy Spirit, 
they become aware that God's drawn near in Jesus. And they're made new. And they're given strength. And they're turned around. And they're healed. And they're renewed. So, although we've not reached quite the end of the sermon, if that's you today, don't go home without sharing that you are at a crucial waymark point today. And seek somebody out in the church for prayer who can help you along that road and draw you into the presence of Jesus who's already working in your life. But before I make the final point of this sermon and invite you to make a response, I'll show you that in a minute. Have you noticed the sign that's associated with this pilgrimage? This is my Camino uh, little shell. It's not the original one because I sat on that. Uh, but it's, it's, it's one that was given to me by a friend just a few weeks ago to remind me of it. And I thought I'd, I'd wear it today. Now, come on, you bright people. What is the sign of the pilgrimage to Santiago de Compostela. It's a shell. They're everywhere. I guess originally it's because lots of it's so near the sea and when they wanted to mark it, they just went there, got a handful of shells and stuck them in mortar and put them all over the place. But the scallop shell is not only associated with the shrine of St. James, and it is, everywhere you go, you've got people, they hang them on the back of rucksacks. And basically, if you see somebody with this, it says, I am a pilgrim, and I am on a pilgrimage. That's what, what this says. It's also the sign, for you knowledgeable people, of Methodism. It's part of the family crest of the Wesley family. In fact, if you come and are shown round this building by uh, our good folks, the wonderful volunteers who show us round and uh, Frank and Paul they'll tell you the story they'll tell you that there actually are images of scallop shells inside this building and outside it because of its Methodist tradition we're a people of Christ living under the sign of a scallop shell quite literally we're pilgrims seeking to walk a life of discipleship of Christ and as a congregation, it might be said in September 2015 that we've reached a new waymark along a long journey. Our past road of over a hundred years as a congregation in this place, born out of generosity of other people and a deep desire that here in the center of London, a world capital, there should be people called Methodists. And that hundred years has taken us and has taken the church past many waymarks. Highs and lows, rain and shine, laughter and tears. Just when you get home, go back through the hymns that we've sung about Jesus being there, not just when you're on the top of a mountain, but when you walked out of the funeral. And now at the start of another Methodist New Year, another year where we trust in God's covenant love and amazing grace with changed leadership in the leadership team and the staff team, 
with folk well-established in this church. I've met lots of you over the last week. And one of the things that you've all done, I'll just mirror this back to you. Those of you who've met me this last week are all going, what's he going to say now? You all said one thing in common. It's the only thing you've all said in common so far. I started coming to this church in X when Y was about, whoever it was. You marked your part on the way. I've been to this church 27 years when, you know about waymarks. And now it's another start of a Methodist year. We're going over another waymark. Why hast thou cast our lot in this same time, age and place? And why together brought to see each other's face? Says Wesley. Didst thou not make us one that we might one remain? Together travel on and share our joy and pain. But there's one last image as I draw to a close. Uh, can I have the last image? This was taken this morning. Thank you, Dan. It's about two inches across, actually. But if you can see carefully, it's a pair of battered old boots. And one of the things that happens on the Camino is that when you get right to the end of it, especially if you've walked the whole lot, you walk the further 20-odd miles beyond the cathedral at Santiago, right to the side of the Atlantic Ocean. And you look out over the west, and you take your boots off, and you leave them in a pile. And as you get towards the end of that bit, there are shoes everywhere. I'm sure they have to load them all up and put them on the tip every six months. Otherwise, the whole of Western Europe would have moved three miles into the sea by now. But it's a sign that you've finished the journey. And you take your boots off in thanksgiving and you leave it under a cairn with a cross facing west. You see, a journey isn't an endless journey. There's lots of talk nowadays about being on a journey. It's a really popular motif. But so many journeys today have no destination. Just being on the journey is all there is. Not for the people on the road to Emmaus. And not for people who follow Christ. The journey's end is seeing faithfully my discipleship through to the bitter end. In a weekend when a good friend of mine has died. Living in a godly life till the Lord calls you. It's the pilgrimage. For a congregation. Seeking the will of God and being the people of God that God wants us to be in changing times until the journey's done, till the ministry's over, till the Lord comes. So I invite us as a congregation to take a resolution to continue on this journey, to walk through the next way mark together. There's an East African saying, if you want to travel fast, go alone. If you want to travel far, go together. So let's walk together. As disciples of Jesus at this new point, of a new way mark. And let Christ be our way, our companion, and our end. I'm going to invite you in a moment when people come to the front 
to, well, of all the symbols, what could we have? But to take up a shell, if you want to do, to say, today, I draw near to Christ. I continue in the pilgrim way. And I'll walk with others as I do so. So let's pray. Lord, in the multitude of images and messages, speak to us. Enable us to respond as we can, but draw near to us and keep us faithfully in the journey which you have for us, individually and together. That as individuals we might know your love as you come to us in every circumstance, heal us and keep us safe. And as a congregation, we continue to seek your pilgrim way so that we are the church that you want us to be in these times to the glory of your name. Amen. So as my colleagues do this, we're going to sing uh, the final song of the service. Thou God of truth and love, we seek thy perfect way, ready thy choice to approve, thy providence to obey. We see it together. <laughs> <laughs>